All right, welcome to episode 144 of the Bobbycast uh, with Lindsey Sterling. And before we start, for more than three years... Oh, by the way, hi, Lindsey. Oh, what's up? I'll have to do, I'll have to do a commercial <laughs> real quick. Uh, for more than three years, a software vulnerability in the Google Plus social media network gave third-party people access to users' private profile information. So about a half a million users who shared private data with a friend could have had their data access. So what happens is, with your personal info out there, uh, criminals can open accounts, file tax returns, buy property. There's so many threats in today's connected world where your phones and your computers and everything's connected. All it takes is one weak link into any of them, and a criminal can get in. Now, the deal is new LifeLock Identity Theft Protection adds the power of Norton Security to help protect against threats to your identity and your devices that you can't easily see or fix on your own. I use LifeLock. It saved me a few times. No one can stop every cyber threat, prevent all identity theft, or monitor transactions at all businesses. But new LifeLock with Norton Security can see threats you might miss. LifeLock.com or 1-800-LIFELOCK. Promo code BONES for an extra 10% off your first year, plus a $25 Amazon gift card with annual enrollment. That's promo code BONES and terms apply. Okay, in studio now, we're doing this from Los Angeles with uh, Lindsey Sterling, who I think we should start with how we met first. Because, which is, you came on the radio show. Right. We didn't know each other. That Was that like three years ago? It was four, four years ago? like four years and two months and 14 days. But I'm not counting. <laughs> um, yeah, so we were doing the CMT Awards and we got paired together. Right. We to, were going to announce the winner of some category. Do you remember it at all? I do. Well, I remember going on your show first, right? That morning. Yeah, the morning the of morning the morning of. And then it was like, we did a little interview. I played a little diddly on the violin. And then that night, right, we went and presented mm-hmm. together. And I do remember you went off script because I was super nervous to read the teleprompter. I don't, like, I have dyslexia, and so I don't read super well. So I was so nervous. And then you went off script, and I'm like, when do I come in? When do oh no? <laughs> I got in trouble for that too because you're really when you're doing live television, not supposed to go off script. Absolutely not. Yeah. But I wrote a joke right before we went out that I thought was so funny that Which America you did not tell me. <laughs> I didn't, but I didn't really know you either. <laughs> That's true. And if I told you, I thought maybe you would tell on me to one of the producers. Like run side stage. Well, He's gonna tell a maybe, joke. Maybe because you've been like, hey, Bobby's doing something. I'm not f- quite comfortable. Oh. And so then they would have cut it. It was just a strategic. Okay, I I give it to you. That was fine. We we handled it beautifully. No one would have known. I don't remember the joke. I don't remember anything about the actual the anything. I remember talking to you afterward and going, "Ah, she's really nice." And she was really because you played the show that morning. Yes. And then you were just kind of gone for a while. And then whoop, then you disappeared. I pixied away. But <laughs> we had talked a little bit online. But then when Dancing with the Stars came up, I was like, "Hey, Lindsay." What do you think about this show? And you said? I said 100%. It's the most amazing experience. But I also told you it's not easy and, like, why it wasn't easy. And so did I help prepare you at all for how hard it is? I don't know if I could have been prepared, really. Yeah. But everything about you was, I don't believe everything Lindsay says, not because you don't tell the truth, but because you work so hard and you were doing five different things. Right. Because you were touring, you were making music. You were doing Dancing with the Stars, so they were going, well, you don't do as much as Lindsay. <laughs> that is not true. Well, <laughs> but they didn't know at the time. when they were. So they were like, "But so don't listen. It's not that hard. That's what they were telling me. Wait, this was the Dancing with the Stars team? Yeah. All, see, they always like talk it down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Don't, yeah, if don't listen. You better clear your schedule if you're going to do that show because it is so intense. They told me if you have four days and you can do four hours for four days a week, 
You'll be fine. No way. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, I can do that's a lot. I'm thinking to myself, wow, that's a lot, but I can do that. Right. But now I get here. I have I've done seven days a week for six weeks. Probably six hours a day, at right? At least six hours yeah. a day. Yeah. Well, they don't tell you they tell you about the dance rehearsals, but then they don't tell you about all the camera interviews you have to do, which take like two hours. And the costume fittings and then the extra group numbers that you have to like it adds up to at least six hours a day. Well, then you ended up dancing in our trio group because when they said you have trio, I was like, oh, I have to invite Lindsay because one, you're really good. You finished second. You should have won, but you don't have to respond to that. (laughs) Uh, I thought you should have won. And then you came and danced with us and that was really nice of you because you have to like get yourself into a whole different mind frame and you're about to be on national TV too. You know, what's funny is when you asked me to do it, I was like, oh, sure, that'll be fun. I didn't realize, like, I almost forgot how intense the show was. It was only a year ago, but like being put back into the ballroom getting back in my heels and just remembering the highs and the lows of it. Like, I don't think I've ever had any experience in my life other than that show where I felt so, like, joyous and happy and terrified at the same time. And that's the best way I can describe the And tired. And exhausted. Like, so happy, because I'm so happy to do it. Yeah. I'm so just scared. My guts jump every show. You, I mean, the part that gets you, that I, the people at home don't hear, but when we stand on that dance floor, you see like this little video play of your week and kind of, and this is the first time you see it. And then all of a sudden when it ends, you just hear this click, 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 and your mind goes blank. Yeah. It's like you forget everything and you just have to rely on adrenaline and muscle memory. Because the click track, again, you don't hear it at home, but for us what it is, and we use it in music some too, uh, because you'll he- we'll hear it in our ears and it'll keep us on beat. Like the audience won't hear it on a stage show, but they play it in the dance room because in case you have to go on the first note or know the first note. Yeah, it allows you to be right on right. as like well, not whether for me. it's express. <laughs> they, they tried it. <laughs> That's the purpose of it. So, right. but, but I don't think I would have done Dancing with the Stars without you and your advice because I'd have been like, ooh, I don't know. I'm not really a dancer. It'd be fun, but I don't know if I can dedicate this much time to it. But I think I said that in the package, too, the, the thing they run. I was like, I don't think I would have done it without Lindsay telling me to do it. So thanks for all of this. Like, I actually have kind of calves now for the first time in my life. <laughs> right? For the first time ever, I noticed. It's like when I was 12 and started doing push-ups, and I started to notice, like, bulges in my arms. Yeah. Now I'm not 12, but I'm starting to see bulges in my calves and have really this, bad this bird is legs. huge. It's kind of a breakthrough for me. So you just have to do more jiving and waltzing in your life. The and waltzing have- was tough. Was that what you feel like that's the hardest one yet? For my calves. Oh, for the, really? They're all terrible. <laughs> I, none of them have happened where I go, yeah, that was a good one. Oh, that was really? A good one. Well, you're killing it. You're making me proud. I hope you're that's, not cursing me for suggesting that you do this. No, show. no, not at all. It's one of the craziest experiences of my life, good and bad. Which is not why I actually brought you here. You have a Christmas record that we're going to talk about. But it, we'll do one song first here. I'm going to play some of this. This is Carol the Bells from your Christmas record, mm-hmm. which is called, what's the record called? It's called Warmer in the Winter. All right, here we go. So, on this, the do-do-do-do, is that your fingers plucking the strings? Yes. Okay, tell me, talk me through this. You're plucking the string, you play a, a violin like a kind of a guitar? Uh, yeah, you still hold it like a violin, yeah. um, but they call it pizzicato in the classical world, and you're basically plucking the strings as if, like, similar to a guitar.
Could you play all this right now? Could you pull up your violin and play it right now? If I had it in the studio, I could play it. Well, I'm not saying would you play it right now, but you could. Do you know? Have, do you know every song on your Christmas record? Absolutely. You, you could play it. Yeah. Because you're going. You, you do a whole Christmas show. We do. Yeah. We're actually in rehearsals right now for it, and. It's it's so much fun. Like I, this was actually my favorite album I've probably ever done. I had so much fun just like getting in the Christmas spirit and putting my spin on Christmas. And then for me, writing music is so much about the experience of it. And that is the live show. Like that's kind of where I the end game of where I'm writing the music for. And so when I'm putting together the show, it's like this is how the music was always meant to be heard is in a visual storytelling way. And so like I'm in the you know, I'm in the studio right now with the dancers, learning all the choreography, and it just makes me so excited to take this show on the road. We did it last year, and now we're totally switching the show up and, and doing it again this year. So you start playing the violin when? When I was six years old. By the way, I'm going to ask a lot of questions I already know the answer to because I read your book. Ah. So <laughs> just even though you know I know, just play, we'll pretend. Just play we'll along. Just, okay. All right, so you start playing it when? Six years old. Your parents play violin, guitar? No, but they love classical music. And so when I was really little, they would play these old classical records, like on this scratchy record player. And then they used to take me and my sisters to classical concerts, like orchestras in the park, you know. And um, and I noticed that the violinists always got the solos. They always got the fast, melodic, like exciting parts. And I was like, oh, so that's a star. Like... That's the one that gets all the attention. I want to play that wooden thing. And I started begging for violin lessons as like, you know, my when I was like 5. And by the time I was 6, they finally were like, I think she's serious. So, you're 6 years old, you want violin lessons. That's a I mean, that's a mature instrument for a 6-year-old. I think when I was 6, I wanted a trash can lid and a stick. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to beat something at the time. <laughs> But you want a violin and do they give you do they buy you a real violin cuz they're expensive at 6 years old? Um, we rented one. We rented this little, and they're a lot less expensive when they're only like, you know, six inches long. Oh, they make kid violins, like really small oh, yeah. violins? Oh, they're, yeah. They're adorable. They're like little tiny. They look like toys. But it's because there's no way a child can play. Like your arm won't even fit to reach the where your fingers are supposed to go on the board. Um, so, yeah, I had a little tiny violin that we rented. And I rented um, until I got to a full-size violin. So what was the part about, I'm going to go to the book, where you had a cardboard violin? For a while? Oh, so that is just before they give a tiny six-year-old, like, you know, an expensive instrument for what it is, um, they first gave me a cereal box with like a uh, like a paper towel roll as the, the board, where the fingerboard, and so that would teach me how to hold it. And once I proved that I could hold the cereal box and the paper towel roll well, um, they upgraded me to a real violin. Was there a time where you said, I'm kind of done with violin? Definitely. Actually, yeah, there was a couple times I almost quit. Um, one main time was when I was a teenager and I um, told my mom I wanted to quit. And she kind of sat me down and she's like, I've paid for lessons for you since you were a kid. And that was not, you know, that was a huge sacrifice for my parents. And she's like, just play till the end of the year. Just do that for me. And if you still want to quit, you know, in four months, you know, when the end of the year rolled around, she's like, you can quit. And, you know, because we all go through like ups and downs and slumps and lows and things. And by the time the new year rolled around, I had kind of gotten through this this slump and I didn't want to quit anymore. When you were in high school, you were the what kid, the blank kid? I was um, I was kind of the kid that did everything. Like I did sports. 
I was on I was in a video editing class and I like was super nerdy about video production and editing videos. Um I did orchestra, I did band. I mean, I was little bits of everything is what I would call myself. Were you a good athlete? I was actually pretty decent like at soccer and cross country. I wasn't the I was never the best, but I was, you know, I could I was on all the varsity teams and Were you the best musician in your band? Um yes, I was. At what age did you start to separate from people, your peers? At what age did you start to go, and not in any way of like, I'm so good, but you'd noticed a difference of, wow, I'm actually performing at a higher level than my peers that are pretty good. Right. Um, well, I think since I started when I was six, most most people don't start the violin with private lessons when they're six. And so as soon as I went into school, I was always way ahead of the other kids in the orchestra. Um, however, that was like being the big fish in a small pond, you know, with your public school orchestra. I also did like these extracurricular orchestras where all the kids that started when they were six were in those orchestras. And that was the place where I was like, oh gosh, you know, my humility check of, I'm actually very middle of the road here. And I think that is one of the reasons I was about to go to college to, to study music. And I even was offered a scholarship and I realized one, that I didn't really love the violin anymore, and that was the second time I almost quit. But also, I kind of got to this realization of, I'm just going to be, you know, playing in the back of some orchestra for the rest of my life. And I kind of had to think about it of, what can I do that's different so that I can do this in a way that, I, one, that I love it and can refine my passion, but also so that I can have a voice in this and I'm not just begging to be accepted as the back chair player for a public orchestra. Um, and that's when I started to write my own music and be creative with it. Um, and you know, it's, I'm so glad that I wasn't just a little bit better. Cause if I'd been just a little bit better, I would have been getting the solos and I would have been the first chairs of like the really good orchestras. And that's where I would still be. But thank heavens, I was just not quite good enough. So I had to think outside the box and I had to get really creative with it. So you're thinking, okay, I have to do something different, but what do you, you, do you know you want to dance and play violin or maybe you want to juggle? Like, what, <laughs> How did you kind of end up in doing what you do now, which you play electric violin and dance at the same time, which is pretty crazy. Is that is that accurate? You play electric violin and dance? Is that what it's called? I do. I play the electric what, what, violin what, what would your title, if you had to give yourself a job title? I mean, I usually just say I'm an electronic violinist, you know? But you don't play the normal non-electronic violin? That's the thing. I do. But I don't know what to call myself. So when pe- that usually quickly paints a picture for people of like, oh, she does the violin in a different way. Because uh, I do still play like the acoustic violin. All my recordings are done with an acoustic violin. Um, but a lot of my shows are with electric violins just because I can make them sparkle and they look really cool. How many violins do you have at your house? Uh, I probably have about seven violins in my house. Oh, that's oh, I thought you'd have like. I know everyone's always surprised. Thirty. I'm like I'm a moderation kind of a person, you know. I don't. I have like really nice violins, like and also violins. If you get to like really nice violins, they're very expensive. And so, like, I have my one really nice violin, and then I have some, you know, fully like I have two violins that are sw- fully Swarovski crystal. How do you even say it? Swarovski crystal. So you know, I can't have a million of them if I want them all to be really special. Do they have violins from back in the like Beethoven days? Are they still around at all? They are. They are really. And that's why violins, a good one, is so expensive, is because the wood gets better with age, and sweetens. And so the best violins you can get are ones that are you know, hundred plus years old. Really? <clears throat> yeah. 
Have you ever played a 100-plus-year-old violin? Do you have one? That's what mine... Mine is about 100 years old. And, you know, that's why I'm, like, so careful with that thing because you can't replace it. Like, no violin sounds the same. And also, it's... It was, it's 100 years old. It had to wait till it was 100 to be what it's worth. And um, that's why they're so valuable. Do you ever go to a music store and you just go and you're just like looking around and you grab a violin and you kind of want to show off a little bit and you want to make people <laughs> like look? Because that's what I would do. If I had like some extreme talent, I would go into, like if I was a great singer, I would go into a karaoke place and just wail and have no one know it was me, the great singer, but just be amazed that someone singing great was on the karaoke stage. Yeah. Do you ever go into like... Do they have a guitar? They don't have a guitar. Violin's a guitar center. They have those. They don't. You ever go into violin center? Yeah. <laughs> just grab a violin and not tell them that you're like super proficient at violin. You know, violin shops are very. They're very different. They're not like a guitar center. They're like old houses where there's just violins lining the walls, and they're all super old and like really cool. And so, but there's all. Uh, I hate to say it, but it's a little bit of a snobby community. So, like, I would think it was a snobby community. It's a snobby community. Yeah. So, like, walking into that kind of a shop, you don't get mediocre players that walk into a shop like that. You know what I'm saying? I, could I walk into one of those shops and be like, hey, I'm really interested. Can I see the 100 year old violin? Probably they, not. They wouldn't let me hold it? I mean, probably not. No. If you've never played, you know, they'd be like, heck no. When I hear violin, I think of really rich people. Because, I mean, the, like, to me, that's a. Were, did you grow up rich? No, absolutely not. It was actually a huge, that's why it took my parents so long. You know, I begged when I was five years old for lessons and it wasn't until I was six that they were like, I think, okay, we, you know, most parents are like, our child wants to play the violin, like get him something, get him a violin. Um, but it was such a sacrifice. Like my parents really were struggling so much financially to make ends meet. Like my mom talks about how we couldn't afford sour cream, you know, like <clears throat> every penny was accounted for. And so it was a huge sacrifice to rent this violin and pay for lessons. And, you know, my mom found a student, a college student that was willing to teach me every other week for only 15 minutes because that's all she could afford. But I think because of that, I knew it was a sacrifice. And I knew as a child that if I did not practice, the lessons were going to go away. They weren't, you know, it wasn't a casual thing. And my parents told me that. And um, so I think that's part of the reason that I was diligent with it as a child. When we were doing Dancing with the Stars and we just had a week, not even a week, four days, yeah. we, were, we were working together. Mm-hmm. We would train, and this is all going to come back, but we would train together and then I would have to go to work. But people working on the set would text me and go, hey, Lindsay's still here practicing. And she's by herself. By myself. <laughs> and she's over in the corner and she hasn't left. And it's and I would be at the studio for two, three hours and I would get a text like they said, Lindsay hasn't left. And I, we would do split practices where I'd practice all day. I would do radio and then I would go back in the evening and you would rejoin, but except you never stop practicing. And what a lot of people would see in you on the surface is, oh, wow, she's so talented. Look how great she, it just must all come so easily. Myself included. If I'm being completely transparent, I thought... Oh wow! It must be nice to just have that and this this innate ability to hear and be good at something. However, what I saw in just the dancing thing is that you work and hard yes. and a lot. Yes. So where does that work ethic come from? How was that instilled in you? Like, what was it? You know, 
I, I'm not quite sure where. My parents always really instilled in us like a value of work since we were kids. We had to earn things if we wanted them. Like I said, because my parents didn't have money to just like give us things. It was something where like, I mean, I started my first business when I was like a kid selling cookies and or like my friend and I started doing a business where we passed out business card. We were called the ready to work girls and we would offer <laughs> to clean people's houses like when we were kids and we had business cards like as little children and people thought it was so cute. But, you know, that's how I earned money for anything I wanted um, outside of just like your two outfits for school that year, you know. And so I think it from a very young age, I just had it instilled in me that, you know, life takes work. And um, and I think that's what I attribute to, like, all my success is I'm honestly I wasn't the most talented violinist. It's just that I've put in the hours and same with Dancing with the Stars. Like Mark and I were the last to leave the studio almost every single night. We put in the time. He worked with me relentlessly and. You know, because that was the first time I'd ever had dance training. And not only did I want to do well on the show, but I'd wanted to dance since I was a kid. You know, my parents actually took me to a violin lesson and a dance class because I asked for both when I was a child. And they were like, you got to choose one. Like, we can't afford both. And so when I was on Dancing with the Stars, it was the first time, like, something I'd wanted to learn my whole life. I was getting a chance to learn from one of the best ballroom teachers in the world you know, for however much time I wanted to put in. And I didn't take that for granted. I wanted to be as good as I could possibly be. Yeah, that's interesting. And that was a realization to me. Watching you work was that I was wrong. I judged wrong and unfairly because you're good, but I watched you work to be great. And I thought that was pretty cool. Like, like oh, really, I, I was like, you. I was like, that's cool. Like she, she's a, she, very gritty. I think that's what I told you. I was like, <laughs> you're very gritty. Uh, you grew up where? Uh, Gilbert, Arizona. What's Gilbert, Arizona about? Gilbert, Arizona, it changed so much since I grew up there. But when I, you know, was a child, it was full of cornfields and cotton fields and dairy farms. And to this day, the smell of cow manure is like my childhood. Home. Home. (laughs) So your neighbors have cows? Yes. My neighbors had cows. We had chickens and horses in my backyard. And, you know, we gardened. We went and picked corn, you know, in the cornfields. Like, I was a little country bumpkin. We liked to play in the ditch for fun. Like, that's what I did as a kid. And I wouldn't trade that childhood for anything. Like, one, it taught me to be kind of gritty and, like, get in the mud and make things happen, you know. And uh, at the same time, though, um, it's crazy how much it's changed now. Now it's like a booming city. It's it's almost like I don't even recognize it when I go home. But it was a great way to be a kid. Your mom's still in Gilbert? My mom is still there. Same house or no? Same house. Really? Yeah. Do you have is your bedroom still the same? You know, it's funny. My bedroom is the only one that's still the same because my mom has kept our rooms until the kids get married and then she'll like tr- like she's like I always want you to feel like you have a home until you you know, have your own family and build your own home. But so my room's the only one left. <laughs> do you sleep in it when you go home? I do. And do you have posters up of John the Taylor Thomas? Oh, those those did get taken down. They are? <laughs> okay, so uh, you grew up in Gilbert, Arizona, and you go to college for a bit? Um, I did. I went yeah. to BYU and graduated BYU, did the whole thing. Yeah. You finish school and you think, what, do you want? what are you going to go do? What's the idea? Well, by the time I finished school, I had, you know, I started out as a film major, studying film, wanting to be a director. And, you know, I loved it, but I just, it didn't feel right. So I ended up switching degrees halfway through and 
becoming a recreational therapist is what I wanted to be. Wait, what is that? What is a recreational therapist? Oh, it's the best thing ever. I wanted to work with troubled teenagers in treatment centers, and you're the person that plans all of their activities, but like you for example, you would do maybe an art project, but you're getting the girls or the, you know, the kids to express their emotions and their feelings through a painting because sometimes these kids don't want to express it verbally or they just can't but it was amazing how much they would open up when you get them to do it either artistically or get them outside on a horse or get them rock climbing and you know comparing climbing a wall to like climbing over the challenges it's like making it physical for them so you want to do that yeah but but you finished school with a degree in recreational therapy? Yes. So I could be a recreational therapist. But then you go, okay, I really don't want to do that either. It, yeah, it was my last year in school. I realized, I was like, you know, it's all I thought about was music. I had finally kind of discovered my voice. You know, I had, like I said, decided not to study music, but I didn't ever stop playing. I kept playing with bands or writing music and, you know, trying out all these different styles. And I didn't know what I wanted to be. I just knew I was excited about music and wanted to kind of reinvigorate my passion. And once I found like a sound that I loved, I was obsessed again, like the way I was when I was six years old and I first held that cereal box, like I was consumed by it and in like a really cool way, the way that I hadn't felt in years. And so I was just basically trying to finish school because I was like, I'm the kind of person I was like, I paid for my own college. I put myself through college while working and I was like, I'm not going to not get this degree that I am so close to. So it was almost like I was walking two very different paths that were getting farther and farther apart as I was trying to start a music career, but also trying to finish school. And um, but so by the time I finished school, I had already started a YouTube channel and I'd already like I was already planning my first or I think I was about to start planning my first ever tour. The YouTube thing is so interesting to me because like you're a real life per you like you thrived in new YouTube. Yes. Like when YouTube really was launching people into their desired area, like you're one of those people who figured out YouTube early. Thank heavens. I, You know, sometimes you're in the right place at the right time. And thankfully, I met um, Devin Graham, who's a cinematographer who has a YouTube channel. And he saw what I was doing. He had seen I'd posted one video on YouTube solely to get it to the Ellen show. Like I posted it and then sent them a link, but the only way I knew how to get it to them was by putting it on this thing called YouTube. And that video went viral for lack of a better term. What was the video? I I have since taken it down. Really? (laughs) It still survived. Someone else put it up, of course, as all things do on the internet. Um, It's so bad. It's um, me dancing to the Black Eyed Peas pump it while playing the violin. It was the first time I really was like, I mean, and the funny thing is, is now people look at me and I'm a, I'm a dancer now. You know, I've, I've taught myself to dance and after Dancing with the Stars, escalated myself quite a bit even further. But at the time, I'd never tried to dance. So it was like, it was like as if you were like, oh, go out there and play football, Lindsay. It's the same thing. I, I was a terrible dancer, but I just really had this idea. And I was like, if I could dance and play the violin, no one's doing that. And it would be so cool. Um, so I posted this video where I played over the actual Black Eyed Peas Pump It track, like this little violin line I wrote, and I'm dancing my little heart out in my living room, and it is so bad. See if you can find it, Mike. See, just Google. It's oh, Let's see. Lindsey Sterling Pump It. It'll probably come up. I don't know why I'm telling you this. It's it's hilarious because it's one of those things where it's like, wow, I've come a long way. And it went viral. What was viral back then? So that's the funny thing. Back then, viral was it got about half a million views, which is a lot for the time. Like, 
this was 2007, I think, when I put it up. And, you know, that was a massive amount of views. I remember everyone, all my friends being like, what? You're like famous. <laughs> <laughs> You've got, you know, half a million views on this video. And I didn't even understand yet that YouTube was like a thing that was like, I didn't understand that you could have your own channel. I just thought, oh, I posted a video and like, now what? And so I didn't even touch it for a while until I realized, um, oh, this is where you can, like, I started to re realize there were all these other people with platforms, with fans that like subscribed to them and wanted to see more and these people were celebrities by putting videos online and at this time I'd been going to all these record labels trying to get people to believe in my stuff trying to get people to like think that I was cool and nobody saw the vision at all and suddenly there was this world without gatekeepers where you put it up and if people like it they share it and that's where my career was born is it called Lindsay Hip Hop Violin? Oh, it probably is. Is it black and white? Yeah, it is. Oh, the I think. Is it or no? A different the one. Sugar Plum Fairy song is playing. Oh, I think there's still a song. Wait. The album's playing. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> this isn't our studio. We're working out of a second studio. Oh, okay. I think we we'll probably have two rolling here on the computer. This isn't our computer. Give us a break here, Lindsay Sterling. I'm judging so you are, hard you right are now. A little bit. You're judging so hard. Okay, so. It's black and white. You look mm, 19. Like, look at that outfit. You're in cut-off shorts. But no, it's cut-off sweats, it looks like. <laughs> Tall black socks. Like my hair. Like Old ten you're, oh, your hair's kind of cool. Your hair's kind of That was my peacock hairstyle. All right, it was let me hear this. Which one is this? Too bad the folks at home can't see the but dancing. But they can look up Lindsay Hip Hop Violin. Lindsay Sterling. And you don't like this? <laughs> it's terrible. I mean, does that sound bad to you, Mike? Oh, that's pretty on. good to me. It's so I mean, bad. Uh, but they can't, the dancing though. The, the dancing is, it looks just looks like. It's so like, awkward. That's better than what I do on national TV right now. <laughs> <laughs> if that says anything. So uh, you put this up. And wh where are you shooting this? What, what, what room is this? Uh, this is my college apartment. My roommate was pressing record on the tripod for me. And uh, yes. And that's the first one. And you took it down. You didn't want to leave it up for the Smithsonian. <laughs> well, partially, actually, the real, I am all about like, hey, people should know, like, it's cool that people see where you came from, I think. But I took it down for copyright purposes. I used the actual Black Eyed Peas song. Mm. Which now, there used to be a huge gray area in YouTube where you're like, if I don't monetize it, it's okay. Not okay anymore. Well, it's up now on this guy's channel. Yeah, but he's, he's not rack, like, he's not a YouTuber. He like. 1.3 million views. <laughs> but that's like, you know what I mean? He's not a YouTube personality. Like, no one's watching his channel. Oh, anyways. He may be now. Uh, add a comment. Say, I love this. They should, more should be like that. Make a comment <laughs> on that thing. Here, let me read. Someone says, Lindsay's first video. Found it when I was in sixth grade. And I loved it so much. So cool to see she's so famous and producing such amazing work. Your fans are hardcore too, by the way, and they're all from all over the world. All you, like over. you tour all over the world. Just like, so cool. Do you ever go to like South America and tour like places like that? It's just different language, completely different culture. Absolutely. Like we do South America. We've gone to Eastern Europe and Russia, and we've gone to what Asia. What is that like? And what is it like to go to somewhere like Russia, and you're playing music for people that you don't speak the same language? Yeah. And, but you still speak the same language. And that's what's so cool about being a, mo you know, 90% of my stuff is instrumental. And so to be able to go to a place and be able to 
have no language barrier in the music is pretty cool. And I think that's why I've done so well on a global platform. Um, but also, it's just insane to me. Like, I never traveled. I'll be, you know, my family didn't have any money when I was growing up. So I, like, didn't really leave Arizona. And then suddenly, you know, I am in Europe on tour and doing shows. And it was the weirdest thing. That first tour in Europe, it was, you know, I did a little tour in the U.S. And then I went straight to Europe. And I just couldn't believe I would show up to a venue in Paris or France or wherever, you know, wherever we were, people would be there and they'd be like chanting my name in their accent, you know, and I was like, this is insane. Was that the crowd from Ratatouille, the movie? Lindsay, Lindsay. <laughs> Sounds like a cartoon crowd. It does. Sound. What accent was that in your that mind? Was, that's French. Lindsay. Oh, Lindsay. Lindsay. So you go to these places and they know your music, but you don't speak the same language. What is a show like? Because you're playing, people don't, aren't singing along. Yeah, my shows are very, you know, and I've, it depends on the type of room we're playing, but especially now, like they used to be much rowdier crowds because we'd play small clubs and everybody's intimate and they would, they would jump around and like, you know. Like a mosh pit? Like jump around like. Kind of. Not like, I mean, my fans aren't that intense, you know. So, And also, but I realized the more I've, you know, expanded as an artist, my crowds are so strangely diverse. Like no one knows what to make of it. You have an older elderly couple that have always loved the violin that are there and they're dressed up all nice. You've got your guys in French coats that are metal heads that think, oh, she shreds. She's a shredder. You've got your gamers. You've got your, your teenage girls, your little kids. Like it's the weirdest demographic. And so now I do mostly seated venues because I want everyone to be comfortable. I want the elderly couple to be able to sit and enjoy. I want kids to not have to like be holding you know their parents holding them up and so I, I play very you know seated venues and my shows are very much people watch like they come to watch they're not usually cheering or chanting like of course they'll clap in between songs but it's not like a rowdy yeah 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 crowd it's a very like we're dancing there's ballet in the show there's like it's it's a theatrical performance if people talk during your show do people go shh Yes. Oh, they do. <laughs> I mean, not if people are talking a little bit, but if people are like talking loud, yeah, they'll. Be, or it's like if, I if some fans get really upset because they'll want to stand up and like dance, and people are like, "Sit down, sit down," you know. So, I and I I feel bad, but it's like a lot of the fans are there to like they're not there to party. Some of them they're there to sit and watch. They don't. That's want, interesting. Yeah, it's like a rock and roll dance via. Listen, I haven't been. That's why I'm asking these questions. I I've never seen your show before, but I feel like, I mean, there's so much energy. Oh, it's it's an energetic show. I mean, um, the girl, my my dancers and I, like, we are probably drenched in sweat by the second song. Like, we are, there's full choreography. The band, it's loud. It's very loud. It's a rock show. But um, it's also, like, I like to think of it, I love theatricality. I love costumes. So there's all these costume changes. There's, like I said, there's everything from lyrical dance numbers to like elements of pop to ballet, like point ballet. And so it's very diverse. It's always moving. There's storytelling that happens in it through the dancing and, you know, and then through the visuals on the screens, I try to create these different worlds. And it's very much a, like I put a lot of energy into not only the creation of the show, but every single night on that stage, like we come off exhausted. Okay, so you build YouTube. You put a YouTube video up. It's on my screen in front of me. It all kind of stems from that right. video, like not all the work, but this the idea, this incarnation of Lindsay Sterling, the performer. 
when could you pay your bills from getting YouTube streams? Um, I probably, well, so this video was, I think 2007 is when I put it up. And then honestly, I took a huge, like, I just didn't know what YouTube was and what it could do. So it went viral, but I had no idea what that actually meant. Or Did you get on Ellen, by the way, ever? I never got on Ellen. Still? Still to this you still day. Have, I've never been on Ellen. Would that be a thing for you? Like to go on Ellen? Would oh, that be one? That'd be a huge thing for me. It'd be like the full one. It'd be one of the full circle moments. And I love a good full circle moment. But no, I haven't been on Ellen yet. <sighs> Which is funny because. Which is it's why. That's what you're doing. Kind That's of. why you're doing. It's kind of something that spurred the entire thing. So it's like someday. Someday I'll get to Ellen. Um, you're but, posting YouTube videos. Or you take yeah, a break. Yeah. So I take a break. And then. Um, I met this cinematographer guy, Devin Graham, who basically was like, you would do really well on YouTube. And he taught a YouTube like seminar, like a one night thing at BYU where a bunch of filmmakers came. And I, I had been kind of discouraged at this point because I'd been trying, I'd been playing open mic nights and doing these like things called NACA showcases, which are for like college shows and flying around the country doing these very thankless gigs, playing in college cafeterias. And I was like, I just don't know how much longer... I can do this because nothing was changing. It was just everything was the same. And then I went to this YouTube seminar where for two hours I sat there and learned. Like he broke it down for you how you become a good YouTube channel and how you became a YouTuber and build fan bases. And I was, you know, when something just feels so right, it felt so right. And I knew I even called my mom right after I left. I'm like, I figured it out. I'm going to be a YouTuber. She probably thought you were nuts, right? She, yeah, she's going to go, okay. That's really, she was excited because I was excited. My mom is so supportive, um, you know, but I, I like took notes feverishly and I just, I just knew. And I feel like you got to trust that inner gut. Like it'll tell you sometimes when it's time to throw in the towel and switch directions slightly or when it's time to, that's not a good avenue. But this time I, I knew that this was going to work. And so I tirelessly, I'm still going to school at this point and I'm just tirelessly making all these YouTube videos and thank heavens. I, what did I do in my first two years of college? I went to film school. So I had all the know-how of how to, you know, I, well, I also had all these friends that could help me film the videos. I knew how to edit. I knew how to produce. I knew how to, like, do all of that. And so I could make these really beautiful videos for nothing, for free. And, you know, at the time I had no money. And then it was probably about six months after doing YouTube. It happened pretty fast that I was like, okay, I quit my job and I can do this full time. So if you're dependent on uploading content... What kind of rules do you set with yourself? Like, I must have something up every week. I must have something up every two weeks because, again, you got to pay your mortgage. You got to pay your rent. You got to pay your car payment. Right. Like, the practical side of it, how much were you creating and uploading so you could actually just survive? Um, you know, I thankfully I had saved up some money. So I wasn't like paycheck to paycheck anymore at this point. I kept my job until I had a little cushion. Um, and I've never, I'm very unique in the YouTuber sense because most YouTubers upload like every week. You know, they have to in order to keep the content rolling, keep their fans interested. Thankfully, you know, what you set as a precedent on YouTube is what your fans expect. I guess not even on YouTube in general as an artist or as a personality. Like whatever you set, people are going to expect that from you. And thankfully, I always have done like kind of sparse videos. I used to do one a month. Now, honestly, the last three years I've probably done, you know, maybe 10 a year which is a lot for a musician that tours as much as I do and writes original music and I produce and I concept and direct all my own music videos. So that's, and edit them still. So that's a lot, but for a YouTuber, that's so little. Um, but also I always had a much bigger 
picture in my mind. I never saw YouTube as the bread and butter. For me, it was, wow. When I put up my first YouTube video, once I understood what YouTube was, by this time I had like three songs online that were original, that were mine, that were my sound, that I loved, and they hadn't sold. They'd been up there for months, and no one had bought them except for like my mom and you know my sisters, and that's about it. And so suddenly when I put up this YouTube video, the first one after the you know beloved black and white, black eyed peas video, um, I saw the spike in the sales, and I was like, I get it. This is not about YouTube. YouTube is like the, you know, the ground, my playground so that people can go wherever I need them to go. That's and I knew that's I wanted to get on tour. That's kind of was the end goal for me is I want a tour. And so that was always what I saw as how I sell tickets, how I sell my music, how I sell everything is all based on this YouTube channel. But outside of it is where I make the cash to keep me afloat, because like I said, I only make, you know, eight, eight to ten videos a year. So when you get a check from YouTube, does it come from YouTube? Does it say YouTube? Like, what does it say on the corner, the left corner of the check? <laughs> it's Google. I get a Google check. Yeah, it's, so it's from like Google Inc. Yeah, Google because it's Google that pay like gets all those ads and puts them on your channel and da 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 da. And do the ads have to be cleared by you, like a certain kind of ad? Um, I'm allowed to say what I don't want on my channel, and every once in a while, a new one pops up. They're like, "Oh, don't want that." Like, add that to the list. But you know, you're you. You're basically allowed to say you're not allowed to say what kind of content is in the ad. But like, for example, I don't have alcohol ads on my channel or like I think I asked for no Victoria's Secret ads like <laughs> um, like farmers only dot com. Oh, that's like, my favorite. Would, would you let farmers only dot com? Absolutely. You would, you'd be cool with that. <laughs> I mean, I grew up on a farm. Uh, that's true. That's you know, true. those are my people. I might meet someone. <laughs> that's true. too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Do you, what's OK? Did you get on the dating apps? Have you been on the dating apps? I have been on the dating apps. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not like I'm not super proud of it, but I'm. Why on would it. you? Why would you not be proud of it? That's the way people meet nowadays. I know, but they're so strange. Mm. They're so strange. But aren't people just? It, you can meet anyone that's strange. Yeah, you can meet strange people anywhere, but I just feel like ugh, the dating app culture. Okay, here's what I don't like about the dating Go apps: ahead. is it's it's created the most flaky dating or culture in general, but in dating specifically, like. You know, people like barely talk on them. Like you message someone and half the time they don't even message back because there's endless options of people that they swipe through. And so like someone you'll be talking to and all of a sudden they disappear and it's like, oh, they probably found someone hotter. Oh, okay. <laughs> how would someone meet you? Because they're probably listening right now going, how would, some, how would I meet a Lindsay oh, Sterling? How would you? I um, like to go on hikes. <laughs> So just in the woods. Find me in the woods. Find you in the woods. I'll either be playing the violin amongst some trees or I'll be hiking. I was watching this video where you're in Alaska. Oh, you're, yeah. on, you're on a glacier. Yeah. That's my newest one. How do you, first of all, what's the name of the video? It's called I Wonder As I Wander. I Wonder As I Wander. So whimsical, right? Now, how did you get on a glacier? So this was actually a crazy story. I, in the middle of our tour... We were able to book a show in Alaska. So we had a show, flew on a plane to Alaska, and we basically had 30 hours on the ground before we had to get back to our next show, which was in L.A. So it was a tiny little window of time. But I was like, I'm flying all the way to Alaska. like, And I, ha I knew I had to film this Christmas video, so I was like, I have to film on a glacier. So basically I got off the stage from this um, – we played the Alaska State Fair, and I jumped straight off the stage into a van. I did my makeup in the van – Jumped onto a helicopter, you know, I changed in the hel the bathroom of the helicopter pad into this like huge headdress and whimsical outfit and then flew on a helicopter and they dropped me off at a glacier with my camera guy. 
That's crazy. And like, I mean, I'm wearing snowshoes, like chains on my feet to hike from location to location as we're filming this because it, we had several spots we wanted to film on and like we were jumping over little glacial streams, climbing up glacial hills, like me doing this all in this headdress and this very, very flimsy dress. It was freezing. <laughs> this is some of it. Now, I wonder as I wonder. It's on the deluxe edition of Lindsay's Christmas album, Warmer in the Winter. So what's up with the deluxe? So you you put more songs? I did. Yeah? Yes. I think five new tracks on this album. That, that's what makes it deluxe. That's why it's deluxe. Yeah. So this is one of the new songs? This is. Which turned into, I think, my favorite song on the album, actually. Listen to this. Now, you're wearing an outfit. It's like white. It's like you're um, a... You look like a Native American American that's about to get married and on a glacier. Oh. Like it's crazy. It's kind of it's a like who, who is this your idea? This outfit? I actually styled this video myself. I sewed some of it and I bought the rest of it off of Etsy. Really? <laughs> like I pieced it together. You know, I bought a bodysuit here, sewed a skirt, bought a headdress here. So you do it all, huh? I I love doing it all. Like the whole process is why I love that I get to make these like small productions. You know, because I, I can do it all. Are you so busy all the time? Yeah, I'm pretty busy. But I, I like it that way because I'm doing things that I like. I, I don't have to style my own videos myself, but sometimes I just enjoy it. And I think it's important to do the things not only that are going to be successful, but do them in a way that I started. Like, why did I start doing this? Because I loved costume design. I loved making videos. I loved editing them. So people are always telling me like, oh, get someone else to do all that stuff. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I'm like, well, this one I want to do. You, this is you singing in this too, right? Yes. Do you sing? I Not a lot. I sing in this. <laughs> but are you a good singer? I would never call myself a good singer. I'm I'm a like mediocre singer. Yeah, on what scale though? Because I thought the Black Eyed Peas video was pretty good. You know, and she was hating on that. I thought it was pretty good. So you're probably with real sing- like great singers and you're comparing yourself to like the... the- yeah, I mean, like, could I pull off a full show of singing? Yes. Absolutely not. Oh, you couldn't? Like, well, I think the, like, my range is very limited. And, like, I can sing, like, this song was in my range and it was suitable for my voice. But, like, I really don't think I could entertain a crowd singing for an hour. Do you ever get up and talk in your shows? All the time. You my, do talk. My guys make fun of me. They're like, <laughs> because? Like, tonight you were talking for nine minutes and like in one break and i was oh, like you'll talk for nine that's cool and i was like what, i was what do you not talk about for nine minutes um i think it depends i mean i was like it's important for me and i don't always talk for nine minutes usually it's more like five you know per break not always but um it's important to me that if i'm on a stage and thousands of people are in the audience i might as well say something that i actually believe in and care about um you know, for example, like we were actually on a co-headline tour with Evanescence this summer. And now let me just say, I am still a massive Evanescence fan, but also like growing up, like I had her Amy Lee's poster on my wall. I was a huge fan. And like she and the way that she approaches music has affected the way I approach writing music, like high contrast. And so I love her. And when we had this opportunity to tour together, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And so here I am on stage in front of, you know, sometimes 10, 15,000 people a night. And I would go up to the mic and I would say, you know, it's pretty cool. We're on tour with Evanescence. You know, I've I've been a casual fan for years. And you could kind of see the look of like her fans being like, um, that was rude. And then immediately this music video of me starts playing when I was, it was me as a 15 year old 
like rocking out to Evanescence and like with my two best friends. You can tell we think we are so cool. It was my really early editing days and um, actually the first music video I ever made. And so, you know, then I would, as, as soon as that went away, I would say, well, I guess obviously I'm not a casual fan. I'm a huge fan. And that created a moment for me to be like, no one would have ever looked at that girl, that awkward girl on that screen and thought that she would amount to anything. But guess what? That girl had really big dreams and that girl was willing to work really, really hard. And I fell down many times, but I got back up. And I, and this was the moment right after I had just played a song with Amy Lee. And then to be able to be like, then all of a sudden that moment meant so much more. And for me, like the talking moments, like are to make people one relate to me and realize, cause also when I perform, it's very like, kind of like that music video we just watched is very epic and very like, you know, aha and I'm kind of a goober like in real life so it's like I'm this whimsical magical creature and then I go to the mic and they're they're all very aware that I'm just a normal awkward girl are you awkward oh yeah I'm some super I mean yeah definitely <laughs> how so I mean I, you, you seem pretty put together to me I mean I'm put I guess I'm put together but that doesn't mean I'm not awkward still you know like I I guess I'm just goofy like I'm just a goober and um you know, I'll I'll do a lot of swing and misses. Like I'll I'll really go for it, and try to be funny sometimes, and it's not funny. Um, but uh, and then also sometimes just being myself and being a little bit goofy and kind of playing into that awkwardness makes people laugh. Like people like that. And um, you know, they always say it's the best when you're just yourself. And I I stopped. I used to get so nervous those moments going up to the mic. That was the part that I like <laughs> feared the most of the entire show. Was oh, I have to talk to him? What do I say? Because um, I felt like I had to be so put together. And the more I've just been like, yeah, I I just need to own what I am. And uh, it's made it like now I, I love that moment. It feels like I get to connect with the audience in a totally different way, especially because I don't get to use my voice at all through the show. And people connect through the voice. And, you know, I'm playing a violin. And so when I get to finally, like, use my voice and talk to them, it, I think it fills a gap that could be very apparent in the show. Yeah, that's wild that you're not you're not wearing a mic at all. No headset mic. No. And. Where is your? Where is a mic? It's up in the top corner of the stage, uh, stage right, if you will. And what? One time I got stuck on something, like in the middle of the stage, in the middle of the show. I was like super high off the ground, and I was stuck. And it was just a funny moment because everyone's looking around, like, "What do we do?" Like, she has no mic. Like, I couldn't explain to the audience, like, "Oh, we're having technical diff." I couldn't even be like goofy or awkward about it or joking to make it fun. I had nothing. I'm like up there in silence. And luckily my keyboard player's hilarious. And so like, you know, he would really, it turned into a really funny moment, but it was just a, man, it would be really nice if I had a mic right now, but it's like 30 feet away. That's crazy to think you're performing on a stage and people can't hear, you can't just flick something on. You don't wear like a no secondary headset mic, nothing. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I've got so many packs on. I've got the violin or I've got the in-ear monitor pack already that you got to hide in a spandex costume. I how do you hide a micro or a uh, in-ear monitor pack in a spandex costume? I don't know, but the last thing I want is a second one. So, so yeah. Who's your favorite artist? You know, Pink is one of my favorite artists, and I'm saying that like an all-around. You around. get one. You get one. I'm only gonna give you one artist. Well, there you go. It's Pink. And it's music. It's performance. Like who? Why is it Pink? 
It's because it's mostly because I feel like she is throughout everything she does. I love what she stands for. I love the way she presents herself to the world. Um, and you see that. You hear it in her music. You also see it in her live show. Her live show is the best live show I've ever been to. And, like, you know, when I leave an experience either listening to Pink Talk or seeing her on stage or hearing her music, it's like, yes, you just feel good about owning who you are. Young girls look at you. What do you want them to see? You know, I want them to see someone who who has worked really hard to love herself. Because that's something that didn't come natural naturally to me. Um, when I, you know, I went through some anorexia in college and severe depression. And I finally woke up to the fact that I deserved better. And that I had a problem. And I think a lot of people look at me the same way with like Dancing with the Stars. They just see me as this like happy pixie violinist that like, oh, she looks, you know, her world looks so perfect. But it takes work to love. I think it takes work sometimes to love yourself and to be okay in your own skin. And it's something that I put a ton of work into for years to go from hating myself. Like I'm talking hating myself and thinking I was hideously ugly. And it's not that the girl in the mirror changed at all like physically, like nothing changed to make me love myself and feel beautiful. It was a it was a choice and it was effort and it was learning the tools and the skills. And so I hope that when young girls look at me, no matter where they're at in their emotional awareness or how they feel about themselves, they realize, well, Lindsay learned to love herself and works hard still to love herself. And it must be possible for me to do the same thing. Do you get a lot of feedback from young girls? that see you and hear your message? You know, do, you, do you read those messages at all? Yeah, I do. I mean, I get I get letters at shows and, you know, or get sent letters um, or comments online. And I, I think that is the thing that makes me the most, like, proud of, not proud, that's the wrong word, but just, this was one of the most gratifying things, I think, as for me as an artist because it's something that I struggled with and to see that maybe in a way I'm helping you know, not only young girls, this is something that the boys struggle with too. And that maybe I'm helping someone realize that it's worth the fight. It's worth the effort and that there's hope. Because when I was struggling, that was the hardest thing was, you know, you hear sometimes that mental diseases are like kind of incurable, especially anorexia. They say it's incurable. And I kind of, now I see what they're saying, but it's like, it do, it's not a thing anymore for me. I've, I've learned to cope with it so well that as long as I stay on top of it, it's not, I don't, it doesn't, it's not a factor in my life. Your tour writer is something that you walk into a room at a venue and they have all these things that you've requested. Yes, all my all things. What's on the Lindsay Sterling tour writer? You know, mine's so boring. It's very minimalistic because I got really annoyed at how much stuff goes to waste. And so, I have a very minimal, very small writer, but some of the more interesting things on there, I've recently fallen in love with chocolate coconut milk. It's so good. Wait, chocolate? Chocolate coconut, coconut milk. milk. So not real milk, like co- not, like squeeze coconut water. Yeah, it's like coconut water, but they have coconut milk, and you can get a chocolate version, and it's got way less sugar in it and way less calories, so it's it's like kind of guilt-free, and I can drink a ton of it. It's- minimal guilt it's like yeah it's like little guilt instead of like oh i shouldn't have had that it's like oh maybe you shouldn't have had that so you have chocolate coconut milk chocolate coconut milk 
We also have, uh, we occasionally put Nerf gun bullets on there because we like to have Nerf gun wars. Do you and, take your own guns, though? Uh, yes, we do. We okay. have our own guns. So you take, you have your own guns, but you request guns. the bullets. We request the bullets. You know, we keep having to rebuy <laughs> the guns because they keep getting broken. They're not made to last, so usually we just buy new guns every tour. Um, but yeah, we request the bullets because you can't reuse those things. Once you've shot them a couple times, they're, they're kind of done. I didn't know that. I'm not fluent in Nerf bullets. See, that's why I'm telling you this. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know this until I became a new Nerf gun uh, connoisseur. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and then our rider has the other things like hummus and veggies and um, apples and cheese. <laughs> One of the funny things whenever you came to Dancing with the Stars for the week that we were there is that uh, grocery store Joe is on the show, who's a, a super nice guy. Yeah. And you were like, oh, I know him from the show. So you, you guys watched The Bachelor and Bachelor in Paradise? Yes, we actually watched it on tour religiously. Like me and the girls on tour would look forward to it and we'd, we'd record it. And after the show on like Monday night, we'd go watch it on the bus. And you would see grocery store Joe and go, I like that guy from the show or no? Oh, we love Grocery Store Joe. What was his thing? Because I, I haven't, I know on The Bachelor he went home early. No, Bachelorette, right? Yeah, The Bachelorette, he didn't make it through the first episode. <laughs> so what was it on Bachelor in Paradise that made people go, I really like that guy? Because he's super likable, and I like him. Listen, I like him as a person, but yeah. I didn't see him on the TV show. He's very, he comes across as so sweet and just so real and he's kind of awkward, but like in a very endearing way. And so I think that's why America fell in love with him because he was just like, he was, he was kind of awkward and he, you could tell he was really uncomfortable, but he was just so kind and genuine. I think that's how he is in real life. And too, that's huh? how he is in real life. Yeah. After now I can say that I know grocery store Joe. Ding. I, I heard that Jenna, his dance partner, was like, oh my goodness, I'm getting groceries for Joe. Yes. Like before they danced. She was actually, I, Jenna's a friend of mine, I mean, obviously from the show. Um, and she was telling me that she was like, I was genuinely so excited. <laughs> and then he, like me, cannot dance. <laughs> we're, we're the lowest, as you hear this, we're the lowest two scorers on that show. Uh, but go ahead. People love you. So, that you know, that's the most important thing. Is it, though? Like, it's got to be a mix. Well, it's definitely a mix. But like those. Like, I got to get a little better, though. Right. Well, you're working hard. So you're going to get that wasn't there. the question. You're like, going to get there. No, no, it wasn't the question. Let's just start. Like, I have to get a little better. Right. I have a feeling this week you're going to kill it. <laughs> Why don't you answer my question? Um, I have to get I, you have to get a little better. OK, there you go. But you improve every week. So I have no doubt that you will. So diplomatic with your answers. Yes. Here's this. Let me, <laughs> let me do, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Ooh. Here's some of this from Lindsay Sterling. And the Christmas album that is called Warmer in the Winter. Yeah. Right? All right. Uh, wait, how can you just do you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch? Did you pay for this? Um. Yeah. It's a, Well, you don't pay for it. You, share you the, pay for it by, you, by what people pay you. Exactly. Mr. Grinch. Carpenter, love her. The uh, teen singer? Yeah. Is she a teenager? Yeah. yeah. She's young. Yeah. Maybe she's in her twenties. I don't know. Everybody, everybody that age. Looks <laughs> I know. They, they get younger and younger. How do you get an artist to play with you like this? Do you just ask them? Call her up. Really? Well, actually, I don't have her number. Um, but I went through her management. You know, we tracked her down. I met her at the Disney Awards, and we talked about doing something together. And then a couple months later, I, you know, called in for the favor. All right, well, as we record this, what is it, October? I don't even know what month it is. This is. I'm so underwater with all this stuff. It is October 24th as we record this. No, it hasn't even been Halloween yet. How yeah. inappropriate. I'm so sorry. No, you're getting ahead of it. So the, the record's out that you're going to be on tour when, starting when? We start the day after Thanksgiving. November 
24 uh, in Sacramento? Uh, <laughs> is that right? I, I okay. think we, we start in Nevada. We, oh, okay. It's, well, it but, says here, nearest, oh, nearest shows, what that says. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Will you pull that schedule up for me real but quick? But we do play Sacramento. Listen, we've done an hour here, you and I talking. We've been talking an hour? We've done one hour. Woo! And Is I, anyone still listening? Of course. <laughs> of course. And so... Your people are very patient. Let me just say, well, we're not live. Well, I know that. What if she thought this was a live show the whole time? <laughs> I'm like, how hey, many are tuned in? Let's take in? some callers. Okay. Hi, everyone. November 23rd in Reno is your first show. Your second yes. show is in Sacramento. Okay, there we go. And there it is. Salt Lake, Broomfield, Colorado, which is at Denver. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of places our shows on. Uh, Omaha, Wichita, Kansas, at Interest. Look at you. Springfield, Missouri. <laughs> look, yeah, look at well, me. Well, I know a lot of these <laughs> venues. Look at this. That's crazy. Uh, Minneapolis, Madison, uh, Bloom. Yeah, come on. She'll be on the, on all Christmas. And you may be hearing this way after Christmas, too. She's probably doing something right now. We've done an hour. Let me say this. I appreciate your candor through this interview. It's very refreshing. Um, I appreciate your guidance through my last couple of months because I've definitely leaned on you oh. as, as with the Dancing with the Stars stuff and even a bit at being in California. And being in Los Angeles, because what do I know? I'm from freaking Arkansas. I'll and take I, you to the and best I, and taco spots in town. Yeah, so <laughs> I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, good luck. I hope you sell lots of Christmas albums. Oh, thank you. And hope people come to your shows. Cause I they, hope so. It's going to be such a good show, so I hope people come. But thank you so much for having me, and thank you for your... Thought out, oh, thoughtful boy. questions. What? There's, what are you there's talking a about? reason you're good at what you do. I get it. I don't have any notes in front of me. I know that, but you're just you're did, very thoughtful. But I did read your book, and it's see you did your homework, and it's called "Only Pirate at the Party." Yeah, and it's and it's so funny. Let me see if I can tell the story paraphrased. Okay. <laughs> you get invited to a party. Right when I first moved to LA. Right. So trying to be cool. You're like party in the USA, Miley Cyrus. Right. It's yeah. like. I hopped in the cab at LAX. You don't even know what's going on. You're trying to be cool. Right. And it was um, a, a themed party for, hold on, not Pirates of the Caribbean. Hold on. Wait. Oh, Peter Pan. That's what it was. Peter Pan. Thank you. <laughs> it was Peter Pan. And so you assume everybody's going to be dressed. <laughs> Who has a Peter Pan party <laughs> without <laughs> costumes? And you show up as a full dress pirate and nobody was dressed up. <laughs> like I'm talking... I had just done a music video <laughs> yeah. as a pirate, so I had a like legit Captain Hook costume. Amazing. And you have to make the decision. <laughs> Do I go into the party fully dressed? Because I believe it said in your book maybe one person had a Peter Pan t-shirt, like a Tinkerbell t-shirt. Right. That was it. Yeah. Well, because I, I opened the door and like no one's dressed up, but no one had seen me yet. And I was like, okay, I, have a, I, I could get in my car and I could go home. No, no foul. Like no one saw me. And I was like, or I can go into the party and just like really own this. And I've decided to go into the party. And then how did people react? Oh, people got the biggest kick out of it. Like people were like, oh my gosh, like what's your name? Like, oh my gosh, this girl dressed as a pirate. Oh my gosh. I ended up making so many friends. I was the conversation starter of the night, not purposefully. You know, and I I feel like that was such a perfect metaphor for my life. It's not like I go through life trying to be like, how can I be super different? But I just, by my, like the standards I live by, by the kind of art I create, that's a metaphor for my life. I'm just a little different. I'm a little left of center, and I can either be ashamed of it and go home, or I can be like, you know what? I'm going into the party dressed as a pirate. And the lesson is what? Go into the pirate dress of the party. Be yourself. Be, be yourself. Like, don't be ashamed of who you are. Love it. Um, 
People told me when I first was starting that I would never succeed because I was too different. Over and over again. You're just too different. We don't know what box to put you in, you know, from record labels and whatnot. Now when people say they love my art or they come to my shows and they fly across the country to come, the reason they're there, so different. It's refreshing. It's so different. And I think that the very reason I was told I would never succeed is the very reason I have. Look at that. And we should end on that. Lindsay Sterling, you've been a real treat to talk to. And she's doing a thank you very much motion with her hand, which does not play well through audio. Oh, dang it. Thank <laughs> you very much. <laughs> All right. Epi- what episode is Mike? Episode 144 of the Bobbycast. And thank you to LifeLock, our sponsor, and Lindsay Sterling. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you.